Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are here. And Father, we thank you for opportunities to look into your word together, be reminded of your truths. And Father, we pray that we would understand what you'd have for us today. And Father, more important than understanding, may we be quick to put your word into practice in the days to come. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you together like this this morning. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Hope you're having a great summer so far. The weather has been spectacular. It's been hot, but I sure haven't been complaining about it. My air conditioning did go on the blink for a couple of days, and we got it fixed. It's working now. It turned out to be just a small electrical part that needed to be replaced. But through it, I learned to be thankful for the little things that we often take for granted, like air conditioning during a heat wave. And, uh, but we are enjoying the weather. And we also had a great week at family camp. There were great services and times in God's Word and a great time of refreshment for both body and soul. There's still one more week of family camp coming up in a couple of weeks. If you haven't been down there yet, I encourage you to take the opportunity to take that in. I have to admit I'm a little, uh, a little sidetracked today. I'm leaving on vacation first thing tomorrow morning. We're taking a road trip. We're pointing towards Washington, D.C. We'll see how far we get and the sights along the way. I'm pretty excited about it. I, in fact, I feel like I'm already <laughs> sitting in the front seat of the car, honking the horn, waiting for my wife to finish packing the van. Come on, hurry up. Let's go. Honk, honk, honk. It's not quite like that. I help her with the heavy things. Anyway, big family road trip, and I'm looking forward to it. Have you ever planned or anticipated a big trip? And then when you finally got to the destination, you found it wasn't exactly what you expected. In just a moment, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, which talks about a different kind of journey. It's a journey with Christ. It's life's journey. And it can be your life's journey if you want it to be, but you have to choose it. And Luke chapter 9 gives us a hint as to what this choice will entail. Now, many here today have already made this choice, and today is going to be a great reminder of the wonderful life that you have chosen, while maybe some are still in the choosing process, and that's okay. I hope some of the verses in Luke chapter 9 help you out today. They were helpful to me. But have you ever started something without really knowing everything that was going to be involved, and then when you got into it, you found out it wasn't what you expected it to be? Or perhaps the situation was more than you expected. It was overwhelming. Perhaps you found out that you weren't given all the full details. Someone painted a fairly glamorous picture for you, so you decided to go for it, only to find out that there was a lot more involved than you were first told. Before we pick up any task, it's of extreme importance that we, first of all, count the cost. When I assign someone a ministry or a task or responsibility, I try my best to make it abundantly clear to them what it is that they're getting themselves into. I try not to make the job more glamorous than it really is, and I try not to make it sound more difficult than it really is. I try to relate an honest description of the weight of the responsibility that they're about to take on. And when someone approaches me about being involved in music ministry of Calvary Temple, there's a process in which the individual must go through. We set up a meeting, and then I sit down with the individual and explain to them the responsibilities and expectations of being involved in the music ministry here. And after that, they have a decision to make whether or not they want to still con to continue to pursue mi music ministry in Calvary Temple. 
I remember while being a pastor in a previous church interviewing potential youth leaders and helpers, and some people would come into my office all excited about the possibility of the role, and then when I read all the requirements and and all the involvement, some of them realized it wasn't for them. They didn't have the time, or it just wasn't what they expected. But you know what? I would rather people made that decision right there and then, rather than commit to something and not follow through because they didn't count the cost. I like to be able to depend on someone to do what they say they will do. It's important to count the cost before you go forward. It's like going into into a store. You need to consider the price of the items that you are purchasing before you get to the checkout. I remember as a child being all excited because I was going to buy a certain toy with my own money. I think it was a model airplane. And I'd seen the price tag, and I saved up my allowances, which took a while because I only got 50 cents every two weeks. And then the day finally came. I went to the store, walked down the aisle to where the the models were. I picked up the one that I had been looking at for several weeks. I went over to the checkout, slammed down all my quarters, very excited. But nobody explained to me something called sales tax. When she punched in the numbers, I was found to be a little bit short. I hadn't counted the full price. And I had to save up a little bit more, and I, I did eventually get the model. Nowadays, I hardly ever carry cash around. I use my debit card. I hardly, I hardly ever have money on me. I remember one time when my son was fairly young, probably five or six years old, and we were hungry, so we drove up to McDonald's. And I was going to get supper for Evan and myself, and I can't remember where Heidi and Victoria were, but it was just us boys. So I'm waiting in line at the drive-thru, and finally it was my turn to order. And I don't, I don't know if you're like me or not, probably not, but uh, while I'm in line, I'm going over and over in my head what it is that I need to order. So I've gone through our list in my mind several times already. I want a quarter pounder meal with cheese and a nice tea to drink, and I want a cheeseburger happy meal with no pickles and a root beer for Evan. That's going to be our order. And I'm repeating it over and over again to myself, and then I finally get to the intercom. I, you see, I get, so, I get nervous when I have to public speak, so I need to practice. And when I finally get there, before I have a chance to say anything, they, they tell me that their debit machine is out of order, and I can't use my debit card. Well, this threw me way off. I didn't know what to do. I had my little speech all prepared, and this wasn't in my script. And I don't, I don't carry money around. So I quickly thumb through my wallet, and lo and behold, I find a long-lost $5 bill. So I asked what I can get for $5. Will it at least cover the cost of the Happy Meal? And thankfully it did, so I watched Evan eat his Happy Meal while I went hungry. <laughs> Should have kept those pickles. Have you ever been in a situation where you needed to count the cost? Ever make a promise and then you found out you weren't able to follow through on it? You didn't count the cost. You weren't able to keep the commitment. And this morning we're going to read that there's a cost to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Disciple is a follower and there's a price to pay to be a Jesus follower. There are responsibilities and expectations. There's even a written job description for us. So we have no excuse to say that we didn't know what it is we're getting ourselves into. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9 and beginning at verse 57. Uh, I've also included all of our passages of scripture that I'll be referring to on the insert in your newsletter today. So if that's easier for you, you can refer to that. It's also going to be on the wall behind me in just a moment. And three men came to Jesus with the same request. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to follow Jesus. And that sounds good. 
It sounds noble, but to each one, Jesus gave a different response. We pick it up in verse 57 of Luke chapter 9. It says this, After they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, The foxes have dens, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's quite a commitment for someone to say, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your student. It's quite a promise and a commitment to make to someone to say, I'll go wherever you go. It doesn't matter what happens to you or where you go. I am going with you. And we can read of those types of commitments in different passages of Scripture. There was Ruth in the Old Testament and her commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That is quite a promise, quite a commitment. It meant leaving her homeland and her people and following Naomi to a foreign place and starting a new life all over. But she kept her promise. She counted the cost. And in the words of Peter, Peter is perhaps the most famous of all, the, all of Jesus' disciples. Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. I will lay my life down for you. Even if everyone else leaves you, I will not. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. It's quite a promise. And I believe that Peter was genuine. I believe he really meant what he said, but it's a lot easier to say than to put into practice. Jesus even predicted that Peter would deny him three times in the very near future, and sure enough, it happened. Peter, who so emphatically promised that nothing, even death itself, would not keep him from following Jesus, within moments had denied even knowing him three times. But we can't be too hard on Peter. Later in his life, he was given an opportunity to follow through on his commitment, and the Holy Spirit fell on him, and he received boldness, and he became a great preacher and died a martyr's death for the cause of Christ. Peter counted the cost and it cost him his life. We need to count the cost before we make a promise or a commitment, or we'll find ourselves stuck halfway through a task and not able to complete it. One of the more dumb things that I've ever did was deciding to attempt to run across the city of Winnipeg one day. For the last few years, I've been running marathons and training for them, so running across the city of Winnipeg doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but you have to understand that this story took place many, many years ago, before I even really knew what a marathon really was. I was only 16 or 17 at the time. I hadn't done any long-distance running. The furthest I'd probably run was maybe a mile or so, and to me that seemed like a very great distance. So I don't know what possessed me to do it, but one day I just woke up, I was bored, and I just wanted to try it. At the time, I lived in the extreme southeast corner of the city, and I was going to try and run right across Winnipeg to the west end. So equipped with only a pair of shorts, a t-shirt, and a pair of running shoes, I started out. And obviously at first, it wasn't so bad, but mile after mile, it got harder and harder. By the time I got downtown Winnipeg, which is only halfway across the city, I was going in and out of public washrooms trying to find something to drink because it was so hot that day as well. But I kept going. And it took the better part of a day, but I made it. But it never dawned on me to think about how I was going to get back. I couldn't move another step. My muscles ached so bad, I could hardly walk. 
It hurt so much, I had nothing, not even a quarter to phone somebody. I never counted the cost. I never thought it completely through. I ended up begging for money from people on the street until I got enough bus fare to get back home. It was embarrassing. Before you start a project, you need to count the cost. It's embarrassing if work projects have to be left undone because the cost wasn't accounted for and you run out of money. I don't know if you've been following the news about the new football stadium being built in Winnipeg. They didn't run out of money necessarily, but they ran out of time. And they told everyone that they had played their last game in the old stadium last season and they'd be in the new stadium this summer. And they sold all the tickets, had everyone excited about this new stadium, but as the season drew nearer, it became obvious that it wasn't going to be ready in time. And they're back in their old stadium for another season. I think that's embarrassing for those in charge of the project. Now in Luke chapter 9, three men come to Jesus and they wanted to follow him. They wanted to be his disciples, but it seems that they weren't ready for Jesus' response. The first man comes to Jesus in verse 57 and says, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, it sounds brave. It sounds honest and legitimate. But Jesus abruptly responds, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And we don't know if Jesus' response deterred the man or not. We don't know what the man said to Jesus' response, but I do know that Jesus' words to that man deter many people today from following him. You see, we need to first of all realize that to follow Christ, it, it can be difficult. Jesus was saying to follow him meant that it may include giving up the comforts of this world. Jesus' response meant that to follow him might include times that were perhaps difficult or unpleasant. It wouldn't be the popular route. It wouldn't be the route that everyone else was taking. And during the time of this writing, there were many great leaders who would rise up and, and with their wise sayings and with their, their way with words would command quite a following. And to follow some of these teachers would be quite an honor, perhaps even prestigious. Be seen as a status symbol depending on whom it was that you chose to follow. But Jesus wanted to make it abundantly clear that to follow him was to take on a lifestyle of humility. And Jesus' teaching stated that if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. It wasn't the same truth that everyone else was teaching. It wasn't the popular thought of the day. And sometimes we need to realize that serving Christ will not be easy. It may even be difficult. It may include suffering. And that's not a message we like to hear too often. We hear so much about prosperity and health and wealth and, and the promises of God's blessing. And yes, I believe God will bless us. I, I believe He desires to bless us more than we realize He wants to bless us. I know that. I believe that. But I also read an awful lot of passages in the Bible that talk about hardship and suffering in Christ. You look at the Apostle Paul, and if anyone knew what it meant to suffer for the cause of Christ, it was him. Listen to this description of some of the things that he went through. This is one individual. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches it's quite a list 
It's not something that I hope that I ever have to endure. But this is the same Apostle Paul. This is the same man who taught again and again, although I suffer, be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This was someone who realized that the joy of the Lord was his strength. Life is good. I don't suffer much. In fact, sometimes I wonder if I really suffer at all. I've had my ups and downs, but looking back, there have been a lot of ups and very few downs. And I thank the Lord for looking after me each step of the way. And although I look back and I see God's hand of provision and protection and see blessing upon blessing and and very little hardship and suffering, I do not take for granted that that is how life is always meant to be. I know that. And I know that as I move forward, God's hand will still be on my life. I am promised that. I know He will provide for me. I know I will be blessed. But I know that I'm not necessarily promised a life free from suffering or free from hardship. I hope to be spared from that. But I know that I'm not promised that. And I know that many of you could get up here today and your life story, your personal testimony would be very different from from mine. Perhaps you've chosen to follow Christ and you have experienced hardship. Maybe sickness, maybe the death of a loved one, maybe financial stress or a family situation and you could speak about God's blessing in spite of the suffering and hardship that you have to endure. Even as I share my testimony of being blessed and experiencing joy and pleasure in the work that I've been called to do, I know of others who are in the center of God's will, and yet they are suffering. Do we realize that we can be suffering in the center of God's will? Again, that's not a message that gets often told. Suffering for Jesus in the center of His will. And I don't know what it is that you may be going through, I don't know if you're experiencing happiness and joy in serving Jesus or whether you're suffering in God's will today, but I do know this, that we can stand upon God's promises and we can know that they are sure. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Are you anxious about something today? Are you worried about something today? Cast all your cares on God today. We have His promise that He cares for us. Just a few weeks back, I was referring to Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, and Jesus said there, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God will never give you a burden or a load to carry that is too heavy for you. He will never give you a load that will crush you with its weight. We're only to carry those things He wants us to carry. And if we do that, we will find His strength will be sufficient for us. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 is one of my favorite verses. It says this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. I love that verse. It is a promise of God. Sometimes we want to use our own circumstances as an excuse for not following God as closely as we should at times. Sometimes we want to say, well, how would you expect me to act? Look at the situation I, am, I, I was in. Look how I am suffering. Surely I can slack off in my pursuit of holiness. Surely I'm allowed to slack off in my relationship with God. I am sure it is okay for me to ease up a bit because look how I'm suffering. God understands. If we're following God's will... He promises that we will never be tempted beyond what we can handle. Instead, He will always, always, always make a way out for us. We have no excuse. 
So the first man came to Jesus and he said he wanted to follow him. And Jesus told him that the way might be difficult if you're experiencing hardship or some circumstances that are beyond your control and you are suffering. Know that we can stand on God's promises that he will give us the strength to endure. The second man's encounter with Jesus is a little different. This time it's Jesus who asks him to come and follow him. And this time it was the man who responded to Jesus. And he says, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus' words at first glance seem rather harsh. Let the dead bury their own dead, but, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To follow Christ can be difficult, and to follow Christ means now. Today, the, the word now seems to have lost some of its meaning. In the past, I worked considerably with youth and children, and, and I... I at the time, I, I was sure that the word now didn't exist in some of their vocabulary. Or it had lost its, some of its meaning somewhere along the way. You ask someone to do something and they saunter around, they hardly move, they maybe even groan or grunt. And, and they may even have full intentions of getting to the task at some point, but they know, have no idea what the word now means. I'm a fairly regimented person. I heard that. If I, wanted to, if I want to meet someone at certain times, I'd like them to, to be there at that time because I probably have something else planned directly after that. If I have a meeting or a practice or anything for that matter, I like to start on time and end on time. And when I say now, generally I mean now. And you see, the man who was given an opportunity to follow Jesus in Luke chapter 9 it seemed to have a very legitimate job to do. He seemed to have a very good excuse. But some scholars who have spent some time studying this passage conclude that the problem wasn't in the fact that this guy needed to go home to his parents' funeral, be back in a few hours or even after a few days of grieving, and be ready to follow Christ. That wasn't the problem. The problem was the man's parents weren't dead yet and very possibly wouldn't die for many years to come. They more than likely weren't even sick at the time. And this man wasn't saying, I have to go home for a funeral. He was saying, I want to wait until after my parents are dead and gone and I've looked after that responsibility. Then I will follow you, Jesus. Then I'll have time to commit to that. Jesus wasn't saying, let the dead bury the dead to be mean or insensitive. He was saying, if you want to follow me, you better come now. Billy Graham used to preach that line in his evangelistic crusades. Come now. Now is the appointed time. Don't wait. Come now. Now is the day of salvation taken from 2 Corinthians 6 and 2. And thousands would stream forward to abandon all else and decide to follow Jesus right there and then at that moment. And when Jesus calls us, he doesn't ask, hey, if it's, if it's convenient for you, if it works into your time schedule, I know you're really busy, but if you get a minute, would you like to come and follow me? He doesn't say that. He says, come and follow me. And he implies that he means now. There are some situations in which we obviously understand what the word now means. You take the fire drill in a public school. Could you imagine if the school principal came on the intercom and said, okay, children and staff, if you ever hear the fire alarm, it may be a good idea if sometime in the future you just make your way out of the school, feel free to finish whatever it is that you're doing, Make sure you're good and ready before you proceed out of your class. The school may be burning down, but please take your time. If you have more important things to do, well, don't even worry about the alarm. It's just silly. 
When you hear the fire alarm, it doesn't matter what you are doing, you will as quickly and orderly as possible vacate the premises immediately. You will leave everything behind and you will get out now. Jesus calls us to follow him and he asks us to follow him now. What are some of the excuses people make for following, for not following Jesus? The young may, may say, well, I've got lots of time. I'll follow Jesus when I get older. Right now, I just want to have fun. I'll follow Jesus later. Then they get a little older. Perhaps when I'm all done school, once I have my education or my, or my degree, I'll have more time to follow Jesus then. Right now, I have to study. I have a part-time job. I've got so much work to do. And then, perhaps after I made some money and become financially secure, then I'll follow Jesus once I have a house and I've got things looked after. Right now, I'm just too busy. And then... Perhaps after I've cared for my family, after the kids have grown up or out of the house, I'll have lots of time to follow you, Jesus, but not right now. All excuses people make to following Jesus. But Jesus says, come and follow me, and he means now. There is nothing, 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 nothing more important than deciding to live for God right now. There's nothing more important than making sure your relationship with God is where it should be right now. Doesn't matter what you have to do. Doesn't matter what you have to change. Because there's nothing more important than following Christ right now. When it's time to run a race and the starter holds up the gun, you can't say, well, I'll get there when I get there. There's some more important things to do right now. You may miss the entire race. God is calling us to follow him and to follow Jesus means now. And finally, a third man comes to Jesus and says he wants to follow Christ. But he also adds that he wants to go back and say goodbye to his family. Again, this sounds like a noble and honest request. Sounds like a good excuse. But again, and again, Jesus' response seems harsh. He says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And again, the problem wasn't that the man wanted to say a simple farewell it wasn't just a matter of waving goodbye and leaving and following Christ. Rather, it would be a long, drawn-out process that would take much time, even days or weeks, before he would finally leave home. And during that time, the family would try and keep prolonging the stay and dragging it out longer and longer. It was a custom of that time. And Jesus reiterates that to follow him meant now. But he also emphasizes something else. Not only does following Christ mean now, but to follow Christ means no turning back, no turning around. And Jesus points to a farming illustration. When you plow a field, it's of utmost importance to plow in nice, straight rows. And to do this, you need a firm hand, and you need to be looking forward. What happens when you turn around, when you look to the side or behind you? You, you suddenly steer crooked. You get off course. Hebrews 10 and verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we possess. I like the use of that word, unswervingly. I've taught two children how to ride a bike. I remember telling them how important it is to keep your eyes forward because as you, if you look back, you get off course. What do you do? You turn the handlebars to the side and you'll fall. You've got to look forward. And they tell you in any kind of a race, don't look back. That little amount of time, that energy you use to look back could cost you the race. And the moment you look back, someone else can pass you. I learned that the hard way. I was running in a cross-country race in high school once, and I, I was in the leading pack for a while until I made a big mistake. 
I looked back just for an instant to see who was coming up behind us. And as I turned back to continue running forward, at the very same instant, I couldn't have done it better if I had planned it. I didn't have time to avoid it, and I ran full speed into a tree. Wham! You talk about embarrassing. And some of the other competitors I remember, they found it difficult to continue running because they were laughing so hard at me. Don't turn around. It's a sad story known as Lot's wife. In the book of Genesis 19, Lot and his wife were given an opportunity to flee the city they were in and begin a new life. God was going to destroy that city. And they were warned to run and keep going and not look back. Whatever you do, do not look back. Lot's wife made her way out of the city, but for a moment she turned around and looked longingly back at her old way of life. And for this she was punished. Scriptures record that she was turned into a pillar of salt. She looked back. She turned around. Thankfully, God doesn't turn us all into salt each time we look back and think about how life would be or could be back in our old habits, our old ways. Thankfully, God in His mercy and His grace is ready to forgive us and accept us each time we confess our sin to Him, each time we confess the things that we have done wrong to Him. But His desire is that we follow Him without turning back. Never think for a moment that perhaps there is a better life for you, a better path for you than serving Jesus. There is no better, no safer, no greater place for you to be in than in the center of God's will, in the center of His will. There's no point in turning around. There's no point in turning back because as difficult or as glorious as the future may seem, it is far better to follow Christ than to pursue anything else. Jesus is calling us to himself today. It may be difficult, but he wants us to come now. And he doesn't want us to turn back. If you're here today and you realize that you do not have a relationship with God, or your relationship with God is not where it should be, We would love to share with you how you can choose to follow Christ fully today. To follow Him and pursue the life that He has for you is the best decision that you could possibly make. Let's pray together. Worship team, you can come as I pray. Father, we're so grateful for Your Word, for reminders that You give us. And Father, I'm so grateful... that as we choose to to follow you, you give us help along the way. You promise never to leave us. And even though the way may get difficult at times, you promise to, to be there for us, to be our strength, to help us endure. Never give us anything that that we that would crush us. Thank you, God, that you're there for us. Father God, I pray for anyone even right now that is just in the choosing process. It's in the deciding process. Father, by your Holy Spirit, even continue to tug at their heart even right now. Gentle Holy Spirit. Father, help them realize that it would be the best decision they ever made. And Father, as in a few moments as we all go from this place, Father, those of us that have relationship with you, Father, may we recognize the importance of being an example and being an influence wherever you'd have us go, whatever you'd have us do. The people that we're going to come in contact with this coming week, may we be that influence, may we be that example of who you are and your love, that others would come to know you now. 
and how much you love them. Father, we thank you for these reminders from your word today. Father, draw us to yourself. In precious name. Amen. Tristan and the worship team are going to lead us in a closing chorus. We do want to give you an opportunity to respond to today's message. To be a Christ follower isn't always easy. Sometimes we have, sometimes we have needs, and we need the ministry of each other. And I so appreciated uh, Mary's testimony this morning. She already primed us for the opportunity of the altar this morning. And if you have a need, whatever it may be, there are people who just love to pray with you, agree with you, share that burden with you. If you have a specific request, we'd like someone to pray with you. We have prayer workers who would love to have an opportunity of meeting with you, talking with you, sharing with you, praying with you. If you want to find out more about how you can have a relationship with Christ, they would love to share that with you as well. Just a moment, I'll close in prayer. But let's stand together in closing. Feel free to come and be ministered to around this altar as we sing together.
Father, as we go from this place this morning, we go with your blessing, go with your presence. Father, help us to be a a positive influence for you this coming week. Father, people that will come across our path, may we represent you well. Father, we go with your blessing today in your precious name. Amen. Our altars remain open for a few moments. If you wish to visit with one another, we ask that you respect those that may want to remain in the sanctuary for prayer, to meditate in God's Word. Thank you for joining with us today. I look forward to seeing you at the barbecue at 1230 this afternoon. This is the